This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Because I have no control on what's going to come up tomorrow. I have absolutely no control. So I'm trying to have control on things that I can't control. Welcome back to the Bendy Bodies Podcast, where we strive to improve well-being, enhance performance, and optimize career longevity for every bendy body. This is co-host Jennifer Milner, here with the hypermobility MD, Linda Bluestein. We are so glad you are here to learn tips for living your best bendy life. This information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Our guest today is Joanne LaFleche a clinical and performance psychologist with an MA in dance and graduate studies in somatics. She's the resident psychologist at L'Ecole Supérieure de Ballet du Québec, a professional dance school based in Montreal. She teaches performance psychology to students and psychopedagogy to dance educators, and she gives counseling sessions to students in need. She's written several articles and informational papers on dancer mental health issues. Joanne, hello, and welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hi. I'm thrilled to be here today. We're super, super excited to chat with you. We are. We want to dig into this topic that is so near and dear, unfortunately, to so many (laughs) artists' hearts. But before we do, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm really, really, really uh, thrilled to be here. And I'm a clinical and dance psychologist, as Jennifer mentioned, which means that uh, I have a general practice um, with uh, people from all walks of society. I work with teenagers and right up to people of a certain age and that come with all kinds of mental issues, with adaptive problems of all sorts. And that gives me an awful lot of insight on what people go through in life. So I love my job. Uh, I also teach psychology and uh, parallel from that, I've always danced. So uh, for a long time in my life, well, uh, psychology and dance were like on two parallel tracks. And at one point in time, I decided to go back to school and try and merge those two passions together. So I went back to school and eventually got an MA in dance with uh, somatic studies. And I started working as a resident psychologist. And that gave me another perspective completely, which is more, I would say, psychosocial, uh, where I began to get into the dance world, not as a performing artist myself, even if I've never uh, danced professionally, but I have semi-professionally. But uh, to, to really understand with dance science, what goes on and listen to an awful lot of other artists also. So that gives me that double perspective on things, individual and psychosocial and cultural. That's fantastic. And it's, it's great that you can come at it from that point of view. So as a clinical psychologist, you have that one-on-one skill, but as a dance psychologist, you see, like you said, the cultural aspect of it and you see that, that big picture as well. And that's so valuable for someone who is working with dancers to be able to move back and forth kind of between the the macro and the micro level. We want to talk today about anxiety. And I know that sometimes anxiety and stress can often get confused. And Mm -hmm. so let's start by sort of defining what is, what is anxiety? What is stress? What's the difference between them? Okay. Um, That's a very good question. Stress is an instinctive body response. Okay. Uh, to a perceived threat to your well-being. I say perceived, okay, because sometimes uh, we can feel threatened by situations that actually are are not really dangerous. But for us, they are, okay? And usually that accompanies a situation where we feel challenged in some way. So stress responses are global. They're in our body all over the place in our our, um, sympathetic system, which means that everything fires off. So uh, we'll we'll get tense, our heart will start pounding, our head starts buzzing. Uh, We've got all these bodily responses, which actually are very adaptive because that gives us extra energy 
to face the polar bear that we think is there and that we need to fight, okay? So that is a really very adaptive response that we've had for millions of years. And then usually when, when we have that stress response, once we have uh, satisfied the need or that the situation has been resolved, usually that stress uh, signal will come down and we'll go back to our normal bodily response. However, sometimes we can be going through a lot of stress factors and especially dancers, because God knows how dance is a challenging passion and uh, you go through all kinds of difficult situations. Well, then when those stress factors add up, well, then we can face different mental health issues. So one of the mental health issues that we can face is anxiety. So anxiety, it's contrarily to the instinctive and global body response. Anxiety is a specific reaction that we have both mentally and emotionally to an anticipated future. We are fearful of something that has not yet uh, happened, that may not yet exist, or may not even be likely to exist. But in our own minds, boy, we have the impression that we are facing a problem. So anxiety disorders are very common. eh? Um, Right now, especially with the the COVID years and and all the challenges financially, wars, uh, pollution, you name it, we've had it. Uh, Well, anxiety has become like one of the major mental health issues um, in the, the Western world. Okay, Um, and obviously, while anxiety can be like on such a spectrum of intensity also. okay. so um, but imagine when you couple that with the dance world, which is objectively uh, stressful. okay. so that means that most dancers at one point in time will experience anxiety as like a very normal emotion to have whether it be before an audition, uh, before a, a dance exam or a show uh, that's particularly important for you, well, then you may have anxiety at that time. Okay? So does that give you a little bit of a, a difference? Does yes. It makes it more clear for you? Yes. Yeah? Yes, that's exactly, that's fantastic. And it's, as you said, the dance world is objectively stressful. So, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's look at that for a second. You have given many lectures and done guest workshops on mental health in the dance world for dancers, dance teachers, directors, and more. You've been very active in the dance community on the issue of mental health for years. So, what have you observed in the dance world in regards to anxiety? Well, first of all, you've got to understand how anxiety works. Okay, mm-hmm. now. Uh, that's the, that's the best way to start working on your own anxiety is to understand what's going on for yourself and what is uh, pro, uh, what is generating that anxiety outside of yourself also so it's like it's a systemic network going on right so mm-hmm. i like to have this systemic view on things it makes it more complete and that way i can understand myself but I can also at the same time uh, be in touch with the waters in which I am swimming in the fishbowl, you see? Okay. Mm-hmm. Otherwise uh, we get dis- disconnected. So I would say that first of all, as a dancer, well, I've got to realize that there are a lot of physical and mental factors that can trigger anxiety. Okay. So it's important to realize what's going on. Okay. So, uh, first of all, physically, well, there, there's a lot of chemical ch- changes going inside the brain. Eh? When If you're feeling, if you're starting to feel hyper about something and you're, you're being worried about something, well, then that may trigger an awful lot of hormones in your body and stress uh, hormones and physical responses. Okay. So you may either want to fight something or you may want to flee something, or 
well, the worst situation that you can be in is to freeze about something. Okay, so you're on, you're on stage, boy, and you're just like uh, invaded with with anxiety. You may just freeze there and not know what to do all of a sudden, even if you know exactly all the routine and everything. So, so mm-hmm. those things can happen. Okay. You may also have family dis- predispositions. Okay. Maybe you come from uh, an anxious family that may happen. Okay. Because anxiety as a trait is uh, hereditary. Okay. So that can be something to look at and to start reflecting on as far as, especially as far as prevention is concerned, because that means that you are more likely to get hyped up about something than other people. And that may trigger different perceptions on things that may make you blow things out of proportion, for example, or get really, really worried or anxious about something. So those are the things that you have to watch out for. Also, you can be uh, anxious um, because of medication that you're taking. Also, you know, if you're if you're not taking the right sort of medication or you've um, taken drugs or you've taken alcohol or excess caffeine or excess Gatorade, those are all things that can trigger also uh, anxiety symptoms. And psychologically, well, there are other things going on also. Okay, so Mm -hmm. your family comes from a certain background of values and and experiences that you've uh, gone through in your family. Nothing's ever perfect in families and nothing's ever ever perfect in social life either. Okay, so maybe in your family situations, you've learned to deal with stressful situations, but maybe in other families you haven't. Okay, so that depends. And also, unfortunately, uh, in certain families, uh, dancers have gone through adverse childhood experiences that can also add an awful lot of um, anxiety through uh, everyday living, never mind what's going on in the dance world. So all those things can be happening at the same time. So that's the first thing that you've got to ask yourself, okay, when I'm feeling anxious, that means that I'm feeling I'm being very worried about something, I'm uh, dramatizing something, I'm pulling things out of proportion, or maybe I've got this all or nothing kind of vision about things. I've made one mistake and I've, I'm sure that my life as a dancer is finished or I'm over-focusing on how people are reacting to, to, to me. All those things can usually make you th- realize that, oh, okay, you're getting a bit too worried about something and you've got to work on it. So by staying in tune with your bodily sensations and how you're feeling, if you're feeling tense and you're having difficulty breathing, well, then you've got to start saying to yourself, okay, what's going on inside? How am I feeling about a certain situation? Uh, What are my feelings? What are my bodily states? How am I reacting to something? Sometimes we have behaviors that actually reinforce our anxiety. For example, I'm sure that my best friend is angry at me. I'm really sure about that. She hasn't said anything, but I'm sure about that. And then I start uh, kind of um, fleeing our contact and not talking to her as much because I'm really fearful about how she's going to maybe tell me that she doesn't want to relate with me anymore. And then maybe by being in that situation of withdrawing, well, things are going to get worse in my mind. You understand? Mm -hmm. So we've got to really reflect on, oh, okay, what's happening inside? And how am I? uh, How am I reacting to that, which may help? or maybe uh, hinder my, my well-being. Am I making sense here? Absolutely, you are making sense. I love that. And I, I appreciate sort of diving into the, how can we see these things happening within ourselves like as they first start yeah. and how can we start to recognize them? So what we've just looked at is the piece of whatever the circumstances, anxiety might come up and might start to manifest itself. Yeah. Before we go further with that though, 
we're talking about the dance world specifically and in a broader sense, all artists. What about the outside things that we don't have control over? Like why, why is anxiety a hot topic in the dance world <laughs> specifically right now? I know mental health in general is a hot topic, but you mentioned earlier um, that sort of the state of the world and a, a fair amount of anxiety is coming up in general, but in the dance world, anxiety seems to be skyrocketing as well. What have you observed over the past few years with, with the dance world contributing to anxiety? Well, first of all, we've got to look at the dance culture. What are the, the values okay, that are shared uh, in the dance world, and and most of the time it's implicit. You know, it's not. It's it's like a silent code going on. Eh? But uh, as in any performing art, uh, dance is something that attracts passionate people, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a never ending story of get of trying to get at on top of things. Okay, but by definition, you can't. Okay, because and that's what makes a a performing art such a passionate thing. It's a never ending story. We can always do better. We always normally artists want to do better, want to be better. And most of the time, artists are quite hard on themselves. So they'll be focusing an awful lot on what wasn't okay, what could be better rather than what worked okay. But the dance culture works that way too mm-hmm. because for centuries, well, let's face it, mentors were first of all pupils and mm-hmm. they have received that perfectionistic uh, education. They've received the stoicism about, you know, like, facing hardship and how we've got to survive and it's the survival of the fittest and that's that's part of the of the dance culture right mm-hmm. and uh, so the show must go on <laughs> we've, uh, we've got all these things that are there and some dancers even you know like um, they've learned from the dance world to kind of hide or conceal a discomfort or pain because they fear also being judged that they might uh, be perceived as not being as motivated as other people or not being as tough as other people. So that's certainly part of that culture is that the striving for perfection and the fact that we are harsh with ourselves. So typically, well, the dancer, once they become Mentors, well, usually the research has showed us that many times uh, dance educators, unless they have gone through other kinds of training, but typically will teach the way they've been taught. Mm-hmm. So part of that is certainly very good, but not all the time and not on all things, you see. Mm-hmm. So that, that I would say that that adds tremendously to the stress and the and that will generate an awful lot of anxiety uh, performance anxiety which is the fear of not being at par with uh, the artistic challenges that we have to face now that's a subjective fear no matter how talented we are or no matter you know um, we may feel that fear because we want to do good and because we will be judged now Dance as a performing art is also judged by the public also. So we are judged by directors, by teachers, but it is a performing art. It is a visual art and the audience is there and the dancer will interact with that audience. But the audience has certain amount of expectations, right? When you go to a show and you've paid a certain amount for your ticket, well, you're, you are expecting something. So the dancer or the musician or the vocalist, whoever, whatever, wants to please, wants to communicate with that audience and share something. So that adds on also to stress. One major factor also is uh, the fact that there's the calling is um, attracts many people, but 
the uh, the number of real contracts or or artistic possibilities are relatively rare compared to the number of people who train in dance. Mm-hmm. So that makes that opens the door to a lot of competition, and some of that competition can be really healthy and uplifting, but some of that competition can become really really toxic. So that adds on also. And plus financial insecurity because there's not many contracts going on. And usually dance and all the performing arts is the well, the least well paid uh, compared to other performing arts. So usually that means that dancers will have to uh, wait on tables or do other things just to make ends meet. So that can add also on a personal level, an awful lot of stress. And plus the fear of being injured, right? Mm-hmm. Or injury can add the stress. So if you are stressed and very anxious, that can uh, raise the, the injury risk. But at the same time, injury is also something that is stressful. So all those things add on to a dancer's stress and may generate anxiety. That That is fantastic. Thank you. That's, I think you hit on so many of the things that a lot of dancers talk about so casually and just can't mm-hmm. put into words the way that you just did. So that's great. Thank you. You're most welcome. I think we get used to it too. We're so used to that being the culture. And so, yeah. and, and oftentimes we started when we were so young that we don't realize anything different. Well, we're like fish that don't, can't see the water that we're swimming in, you see? Mm-hmm. So it sounds funny, but if if I start reflecting on what those waters are made of and what am I made of in the dance world, but outside of that, well, that, that can help me to start pinpoint and identify what's going on and eventually to prevent needless anxiety and needless stress. Yeah, it seems like anxiety is more the rule than the exception in the dance world. And especially, you know, we, our podcast is designed specifically for people that have hypermobility. And we know that people that have hypermobility are at greatly increased risks of having anxiety. So I think it's also, you know, really important that you're explaining how to identify these things. And I take, I think it takes away some of the self-blame that can happen, oh, you know, because people, yeah, because people feel anxious about being anxious and get upset with themselves or, or that kind of thing. Is there any time that anxiety can actually be helpful? Is there such a thing as good anxiety or times when being, you know, having some worry or uncertainty can give you a helpful edge? That's a great question, Linda, because yes, definitely. I think that when we have a certain amount of stress or arousal, okay, and that that generates anxiety, I start worrying about what's going to happen. Well, that can really give me an added edge about a situation that is challenging for me and that I want to be at par with. So we call that performance-only anxiety, okay, which is a, a social anxiety where I fear not being quite at par with the artistic expectations or with social expectations, okay? So when, for example, if I'm preparing for a show or for a dance exam, well, I will probably be more motivated if I have that performance uh, anxiety. I will be more motivated to um, be better prepared. So I may uh, review my work uh, a little bit more than maybe what I would have done if I feel really cool about and confident about something. So, you know, I'll, I'll really work on my stuff and I'll do my homework. And um, then after that, maybe I'll be asking for help, outside help. Well, can you correct me on something, either to the mentor or even with peers? Uh, so that will give me that added oomph to really, you know, feel that I am a prepared warrior, okay, for what's going on. Okay? Now, another way also that I may be reacting positively to that stress is that I'm going to say to myself, well, I've got to really take care of myself. So I'm going to go to bed early. 
and uh, won't be too much on social media and I'll eat right and I'll hydrate properly and all those self-care measures that maybe we can talk about eventually, but that will make me try and, and be the best that I can at that time. Okay, so certainly, and when I get on stage, or when I get into the dance studio, if I'm, if I'm uh, auditioning for something, or, well, then that that performance anxiety, because I'm feeling aroused to a certain degree, will make me physically more uh, conscious about everything going on. So when I'm a little bit stressed out, everything lights up, you know, my brain becomes like the, the light bulb really lights up. So I'm that gives me added concentration, added energy. Uh, I'll I'll feel uh, in my muscles there that I'm ready to go. Uh, so I'll have all that extra energy that I'll be able to put and very aware about what's going on around me. So certainly that will be a challenge and the, a, an added um, uh, uh, ace to my to my uh, my card game, right? Okay. <laughs> And but you typically when I have performance anxiety, that will lower during the performance and after it won't stay there. So as soon as I dance, for example, if I'm in the wings and I hear the, mu the music coming on and then I've got all these butterflies in my stomach and I feel like urinating and say, oh, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> Why do I dance? OK, now once the music st starts, I go on stage and then. All that anxiety goes down. But if I'm completely overwhelmed by my anxiety because I'm worrying and then start saying negative things to myself and telling me, telling myself that I'm a lot, I'm not as good as anybody else, and I'm sure I'm going to fall off point or I'm going to fall on my face or whatever, well, then I can be overwhelmed. And that's when. I'll, I'll start freezing. So that's why there's a certain degree. Usually it's like uh, an inverted U uh, level of arousal for more performance levels. That makes perfectly good sense. So for the dancers who are at the higher end of the U and maybe really having more challenges with anxiety, are there some ways that they can lower the levels of anxiety on their own? Oh, definitely. There's a lot of um, self-care practices that can help, okay? For example, um, the first thing, basic thing here is breathing. Now, typically, if I'm fearful about something, uh, you can just, you know, experiment it for yourself. But very often, the first thing, the first reflex that's going to happen, if I feel that there's a polar bear coming on to me and that I'm there next lunch, I'm going to start, I'm going to stop breathing. I'm going to go like that. Okay. And then once I do that, I'm even more tense. Okay. So the thing that I've got to do is maybe train, maybe daily to breathe deeply, calmly, and breathe in for five, six seconds with your nose, breathe out with your nose, maybe five, six seconds also, and really getting to calm myself so that my nervous system starts calming down. And then, then I can feel myself more grounded and more at ease. And the tension is going to let go. And especially work on letting go your body weight while you're exhaling. That's so, so important. And visualizing that you're like a big rock that's like just sinking into sand. Okay. So you can use all kinds of imaging, which is another thing that you can do, right? Is to uh, produce soothing, calming images that can help you. You can image a safe space while you're breathing. For example, it can be beside the sea. It can be on the top of a mountain, in the middle of the woods, in your house, wherever. Okay. And you just breathe calmly and deeply. Now, a breathing and meditation and relaxation is something that needs training, just like dance. If you try and just breathe the day before a dance show or a dance event, 
that won't necessarily be very effective. That's the same thing as if you start training for, for, for an audition the day before. Okay. So you've got to do that like on a daily basis. I generally advise people to do that like before they go to bed. And that way that helps them to calm down and to initiate a more, um, a more restful night by just calming down. Okay. Getting your system down a little bit. So that's certainly something that you can use. And especially you can use that as a pre-performance training also. Right. Uh, very often a lot of dancers, well, you know, they're very uh, in their pre-performance routine. They're based on that. They're, they're focusing an awful lot on getting the muscles all warm and all that. And, uh, but the first thing to do is to start, you know, breathing and calming down. So that's something that's very, very important. I would say positive self-talk also, okay? Because when I'm anxious, I'm doing negative self-talk, okay? I'm saying, oh, the, the audience won't like this, and this is, I'm catastrophizing and, and anticipating on things that will probably not happen. So I've got to switch that around into positive sentences, such as, I'll do my best. Uh, I'm capable of doing this positive things that can help an awful lot. You can also be using imaging as far as preparing yourself for dance also. Like in mental rehearsal, using imaging is really important. And then <clears throat> you see yourself dancing in, in a positive and competent way. And you can sense it in your body while you're going through step by step. Well, that'll make you feel more secure and that'll add focus and attention to what you're doing. So if you do that several weeks before and you keep on doing that and you keep on doing that just like before you go onto stage or in the dance studio, that's like that's likely to help you. Yes, I and I, I know we talk a lot about imagery um, as a training tool. So we've talked about breath. And you've talked about positive self-talk, which I think is so important for dancers because we practice yeah. positive negative talk all the time. And yeah. I always tell the dancers in my class, if you're going to snap, because they snap now instead of clapping, but if you're going to snap for a fellow dancer after she does a great pirouette, why don't you snap for yourself? Like <laughs> you snap for your friends. And then when you finish your dance, you tell yourself all the things that you did poorly. So Positive self-talk, so important. Breathing, so important. But you also referenced something earlier, talking about the fishbowl and separating the fish from the water. Is there yeah. value in looking at the situation and sort of examining what is the worst case scenario? Like what could be happening here? Um, and sort of bringing a reality check to yourself. Is there is there value in with anxiety of examining the water in some way? Well, certainly. We'll, we'll be talking in, in those circumstances about mindfulness. So mm -hmm. I start, you know, like when I am in that breathing, I start by breathing and connecting to the here and now, right? Mm -hmm. Because anxiety is related to the future. Mm -hmm. Depression is related to the past. It's a simple way of putting things. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the present moment is the only place to be. Okay, so a certain amount of anticipation is an adaptive response. It's interesting to know that I've got something to do tomorrow because that way I'm going to get ready for it. But when I'm more in the future than in the present moment, I'm generating anxious feelings because I have no control on what's going to come up tomorrow. I have absolutely no control. So I'm trying to have control on things that I'm that I can't control. So if I'm in mindful practice, which means that I will take time to meditate, I will take time to breathe. And by doing that, I will also take a stance of being a witness instead of being a judge to what is my experience. Now, dancers are very used to judging themselves, right? You just, you just talked about that, Jennifer. Oh, I did this, I did that, da, 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 and judging other people. That's to judge other people also for better, or for worse, or they'll say, oh, they're a lot better than I am. And they compare themselves usually, which generates an awful lot of anxiety and negativity. So, but instead of being in that judge position, I try and be in the witness position. So I'm just like 
calming myself down and letting my thoughts go by as if they are clouds. And I reflect on my thoughts, but not as a reality. Saying to myself, those are my thoughts, but I am not my thoughts. And my thoughts are not necessarily reality. They come from me, but I can change them if I if they're not helping me. Okay, so that will help me an awful lot to see, okay, now what's happening in the fishbowl? What kind of water? What's happened this week? And that's going to start helping me to try and find what are the triggers of my anxiety? Why am I more anxious this week? So usually, as you said before, Linda, uh, dance, dancers will be anxious. There's a certain baseline of anxiety you just can't eliminate because it goes with the territory, especially if you're hypermobile, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does come with the territory. But that being said, after that, what's the added stuff, okay? So if I'm breathing and I'm in this mindful set, of, of thinking, I'm not judging anything, and I'm just reflecting on what's happening, well, then I'll be able to say to myself, oh, okay, my teacher said this, that that's that happened, uh, my mother tell, told me that such a thing, uh, my lover said something, I'm not, I'm disappointed about myself, whatever, okay, whatever, uh, my stomach hurts, whatever, okay. And then I'll be able to start reflecting on what's going on. And from there, then I can say to myself, supposing what's making me anxious is all this negative talk. Well, then after that, I'll be able to say, okay, well, if that's like a thought that I have and it's not objective reality, well, how could I replace that negative thought by something that may be more realistic, maybe more constructive? So that can help me. And that can help me to develop what we call self-compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Being my best friend. Mm-hmm. Now, what would I say to my best friend if they came up to me with certain things? Now, that can be really helpful to be less harsh on ourselves, to say, what would I say to my best friend? Would I say that they're, they're a terrible dancer and that they will never succeed? I don't think so, right? So what could I say? And then I'll try and find things that are maybe less all or nothing. Like, okay, I haven't succeeded my my pirouette yet. Putting a yet there. Reminding myself that I'm in evolution. That can be something. Okay. Or, oh, today. How do I feel today? And what was something that I liked about myself today? So all those things can, you know, feeling grateful, right? looking at what I, what did I um, um, do that was correct? Or where am I proud of myself today? Or what can I say thank you to, either from myself, to other people, to situations? That makes me like be maybe less focused on uh, the nitty gritty that I didn't succeed or the things that I'm anticipating. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Those are all great ways that dancers can sort of work themselves on their anxiety and try to recognize it, try to practice for it ahead of time. As you said, you don't start preparing for an audition the day before. So we start preparing our anxiety practice and our our self-care before we need it, hopefully. But are there signs that a dancer may want to seek help in dealing with their anxiety and not try to handle it all themselves? Oh, yes. Um, I think that um, if, if you feel anxious most of the time, uh, and that that's been lasting, I would say, six months, that can be a, an interesting criteria, okay? say to myself, because I'm saying six months, because sometimes we can be in an objective, difficult situation. And we'll, we'll talk more about adjustment disorders at that time. Okay, so remember that anxiety is on the spectrum of intensity. Okay, and on this, on the on the the lighter end are adjustment disorders. So I've just moved, 
Uh, I've I've entered a new dance uh, company. I I just uh, left my friends behind. Um, you know, I've had an injury. There's been different things. Well, that normally, okay, adjustment disorders will subside after a few months once I get you know into sync with things. So that's something that's really important. Is it most of the time? that I'm feeling anxious. Most of the time, I wake up with a rock in my stomach, asking myself how I'm going to go through the day. Now, so that's something that's important to look at. And as I say, it's been, you know, like something that's chronic is really important. Have I developed eating disorders that go with that? You know, like a, that my, my appetite can be affected. Either I'm eating compulsively, or I'm, I'm not eating at all, or not eating enough, or I've become hyper uh, aware of what I'm eating, or I'm checking my body weight three times a day. Most compulsive disorders are also uh, related to anxiety disorders, okay? So those are things that you can look at. Have you been uh, withdrawing socially? You stopped calling your friends, you stopped calling your family. Uh, the gang goes out uh, um, and uh, has the dinner together or, or after after a show, but you don't go. You feel like you have to, you know, uh, go home. Is your is your um, are your sleeping patterns have they changed? Are you sleeping less? Are you sleeping more? Uh, things like that. Those are things that can be difficult after a while. Uh, sleep deprivation is something that's very terrible that has an awful lot of impact on mental health and physical health. Uh, so that can be like a vicious circle. Am I, I'm anxious, so that affects my sleep. But because my sleep is affected, I get more anxious. So, you know, mm -hmm. so if I'm feeling overwhelmed and not in control and I'm, I'm feeling shameful, I'm saying negative things to myself all the time, or I've got uh, uh, outbursts of, of tears, or I'm I'm angry, I'm aggravated, I'm uh, you know I'm screaming most of the time. Those are things, are little signals there. And as I say, we've all had bad weeks, right? Okay, but if that's going on through time, then uh, you've got to you've got to ask for help. You won't you won't you won't get a, a, out of that alone. You know? Well, and I think, um, as you said earlier, dancers are so reluctant to admit that they are in pain or that they are struggling. Yeah. So we don't want to seem weak. We don't want to be looked over for casting. Sure. And so a step that a lot of tech dancers will take before they seek outside help will be to try to self-medicate in some way, which yeah. as some of the things you've listed, um, compulsive behavior, self-mutilation, disordered eating, um, yeah. turning to uh, depressants or stimulants to help. Um, and sometimes we'll do that without even realizing it. It'll just be instinctive trying to sort of self-manage. But some of those things don't work the way that, <laughs> that we think they would. So if someone is self-medicating with alcohol, for example, they may think that the alcohol is actually helping um, in the situation. But mm -hmm. what actually could be going on when somebody is, is drinking alcohol and has anxiety as well? Well, that's a very lethal combination. Because, uh, well, alcohol is a depressant. So if, if you're feeling more depressed at the beginning, you're going to feel more relaxed. Okay, so that's giving you immediate, immediate um, uh, soothing. Okay, so that reinforces your behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've just had a candy there, an emotional candy saying, oh, okay, I feel so much better. Okay, but alcohol is a depressant. So uh, after a drink or two, well, then the, the depression kicks in. And then I'm going to start, you know, like uh, catastrophizing even more, or I'm going to feel even more tired, or I'll withdraw even more. Or so I get into that vicious circle, where eventually, uh, well, I don't feel as much energy. And then my performance is being affected by that. Also, I can't concentrate as much I'm forgetting uh, my routines and then I get into that vicious circle with anxiety I'm fearful of not being at par because I forgot 
my dance routine. And my teacher told me that, or my director told me that in front of everybody else. And I'm feeling humiliated. Yeah, so that's not a good idea. Right. Okay? right. Which is very different from having a beer or a glass of wine mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday night. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, an example of everybody has a bad week. Everybody has, you know, so we all have these moods. As you said, huge difference between having a glass of wine on a weekend night and and trying to self-medicate. So if if we've if we've hit that point, we realize we need something more than ourselves. We've tried self-medicating and realized that that is not the place for it. What what comes next? Uh, Is there a place for therapy then? Well, I think I think that uh, if you're feeling that everything you've tried before that is not really working, uh, then it's time to ask for help. So I think that, you know, depending on your situation, if in your dance company, for example, you have a self-care team, a, a wellness team, well, then maybe you can go and consult the wellness team and just talk about how you're feeling. And in certain circumstances, that may be enough. Okay, if I'm sharing and I have a few counseling sessions uh, with maybe somebody that's on the wellness team, and you know, to sort things out and everything, and get a little plan about what I can do, and maybe the uh, the counselor there will, for example, um, uh, propose that the person does some journaling or um, other. Uh, maybe self-care measures that they haven't thought about, you know, or help them reflect on uh, positive thinking and how to do that. So for certain people, it may be enough. Sometimes dancers will uh, stop confiding with other dancers. And then maybe the counselor will just say, well, hey, if you talked about you know, how you're feeling a bit more that would help if you, uh, you haven't talked to your family that much in, in the last months. Well, why don't you reconnect with them? Okay. So there are certain things like that, certain counseling tools that maybe the dancer needs at that time because their, their toolbox made, there may be things that are missing there. So that's, that's something that can be done. It can also uh, go with, um, resources, for example, you know, the reading resources, educational resources on mental health can help also. But there are many other things that we can do. But at a certain point, if, you know, the general counseling has not worked, and the resources have not really worked enough, then it's time for psychotherapy. And then then the person should try and consult and find um, find a certified psychologist that is specialized in psychotherapy. And then sometimes, often, well, that will be, I will uh, very often suggest also a physical exam at the same time to see if there's something physical going on. Because, you know, if, for example, uh, maybe the dancer has a red syndrome, okay, where they're they're practicing so much and they're working so much, They may not have a disordered eating pattern, but maybe for all kinds of circumstances, they're not taking enough energy intake. They're not sleeping enough. They're not eating enough uh, compared to all the energy they're spending and they're not realizing it. That can happen. Well, that can also generate an awful lot of symptoms you know, as as far as the endocrine system and the, the uh, you know, the nervous system. And so it's important to go and get that checkup so that the psychologist and the, 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 the health, um, the physician will work together because body, soul, and mind is all connected. There's it's not little boxes there with, you know, so we've got to treat the person in that systemic mode, right? Remember mm-hmm. the fishbowl and all that? That's like really important. So I would suggest that also. That, that's a great suggestion. And we know that sometimes, um, depending on a person's circumstances, they may have difficulty finding a therapist. And I know you mentioned finding someone who is licensed to do psychotherapy. Do you have any suggestions for how someone can find a therapist who's a good fit? I sometimes have when I'm recommending that to someone and they'll mm-hmm. say, Oh, I tried that and it didn't work. And I tell them it's like dating, you know, you don't always find the right person on the first try. And I also tell them you deserve to have 
a therapist. You deserve to work with a counselor. Do you have any suggestions for how someone could find someone who's going to be a better fit for them? Well, I think that starts with strategic shopping for a therapist. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that one thing that can be certainly a plus if that psychologist not only has a clinical background, but has worked also in performing arts, mm-hmm. or I would say in sports psychology also, because mm-hmm. athletes and, and artists often share this. It's not, it's not completely identical, but there are a lot of major issues that are the same. So that can help. So trying to find out about the background of that person can certainly help. And also asking yourself, first of all, if you want to, if you want to save time, start by reflecting before you go see a psychologist, what are your goals? What's the problem? And what are the symptoms? And what do you want to work on? Mm -hmm. And you write that on a piece of paper. So that can be really helpful because First of all, it makes you reflect. It makes you get into that witness position, okay, of trying to figure out what's going on. And that way, when you do shop around for a therapist, you'll be able to meet that person and tell them right off the bat what you need. Mm. So that can help you evaluate pretty soon, maybe in one session or two, what you need and what that person also is expecting from the 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 mental health professional Mm -hmm. now i've got patients in the dance world and outside the dance world who will tell me i really like to work with you joanne because we're more in an interactive mode and i've seen other psychologists who just don't say anything and you know and i feel alone and that, that doesn't work for me but because I'm more an actor, interactive person in my way mm-hmm. of, of relating to patients. But other people, it's the, it's the other way around. They need to like blurt it out and they don't need to have somebody react too much. So we're not all the same. Okay. So we've got to ask ourselves, what are my expectations also towards that psychologist? So that way you can shop around for that and ask them, how do they work? Okay, so some psychologists have specific uh, ways and tools, and they're always working the same way, and they don't adjust to the patient necessarily. So the patient has to adjust to them. Mm-hmm. Other psychologists will do the reverse. I'm I'm mostly like that. I will adjust to what I feel is the the the, the need of the person. So those are things that can help you to shop around. But it's like uh, your your metaphor is so is so um, uh, relevant, Linda. It's it, I think that uh, you know shopping for a psychologist is is exactly like dating. You know, who am I and who are you and can we make out together? Okay, it's as simple as that. And that has nothing to do with with um, uh, bad faith of the of the artist. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, seeking uh, a negative ad- you know attention or being uh, in in negative in bad f- faith and that has nothing to do with a judgment call on the psychologist's competence it's just a question of the fit mm-hmm. it's like really important so it's worthwhile to shop around absolutely yeah definitely and i and i really like how you the suggestion that you make for people in order to help them find that good fit. I think that's really smart. And in terms of, as we're, as we're getting ready to wrap up here in terms of if, if a person is feeling like, you know, they've tried a lot of the self help things um, they've, they understand about the self medicating and they really, they're recognizing maybe that that's not a good idea. And maybe they are, are not working with a therapist, but maybe they're feeling like medications are maybe going to be, something that would be helpful. There are some times, right, where where medications are important and those can be prescribed by a variety of doctors, right? That might be your PCP, might be a psychiatrist, kind of depends on what's going on. Exactly. But that's why for me, it's so important to work in collaboration between the psychotherapist or the psychologist and the physician, Mm -hmm. okay? Who can be a general physician or can be a psychiatrist, it depends. Mm-hmm. Okay, who do you think? But yes, 
uh, in some circumstances, especially if you come from an anxious family and that you have you have that her- hereditary makeup, mm. well, it's it's possible that you will need that little med that will help you. And you, a lot of uh, patients, uh, they see that negatively as like a sign of weakness. And, and I say to them, you know, for certain people, uh, medication for anxiety or for depression is like taking a vitamin for the brain. Some brains, they're lacking as far as uh, neurotransmitters are concerned. And, and so they need that kind of adjustment. Mm-hmm. That, may come from dance practice because we secrete an awful lot of our brain hormones in our brain while we're dancing. That's why dancing makes us feel good and makes us feel elated at times. Okay. A lot of times actually, but sometimes we need that little boost Mm -hmm. for certain people. So I'm not saying everybody needs meds, but I'm not saying nobody needs meds either. So it's really like case by case. That's why you need that double evaluation. Mm-hmm. All right. That was so much information for me to take in and kind of process and think about and try to put it all together. I really appreciate the um, the image of the fish in the fishbowl from so many points of view, uh, because I have been thinking about that since you first mentioned it, partly because dance is such a fishbowl sport. Anyway, we feel like yeah. we are in this complete glass container and everybody's staring at us and we're going nowhere, trying to do the same thing over and over again and never succeeding. Yeah. Um, but also the importance of separating ourselves from the water and learning the things that we can control and the things that we can't control. So that's hugely helpful for it. Thank you for talking through the difference between situational anxiety, like performance anxiety, and more of a generalized long-term anxiety, ways that we can sort of practice self-control and self-care, signs that we may need to look for someone to help us with it, signs that we may be self-medicating and not doing it successfully and ways to find a good um, person who can help us. These have, There's been so much richness in here that I really appreciate you sharing your expertise on all of this. Is there anything that you wanted to add that we did not cover? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have a couple of hours, eh? Right. <laughs> yeah, but I think at this point in time, there's something that I often say to dancers that I see either individually or in groups is that no matter how passionate you are about your dance, no matter how you feel good about it, no matter how you've loved this practice and that I hope that you will uh, have dance in your life for the rest of your life, you must keep in mind that you are much more than your dance. And that's part of a reflection that will help you at times to get out of the fishbowl and in that witness stance, okay? To see if, am I happy in this? And that's fine. And if I'm not happy, I could do something else or I can do it another way or I can do it another another time, but I'm much more than that. And to preserve balance, that's why it's so important also that you do and think and talk about other things than dance. Because that makes it healthy. It makes you stay in a harmonious passion instead of becoming obsessive about dance. So I encourage you to have non-dancer friends and that when you talk to your family, you're you're talking about something else and not being forever looking at dance videos or (laughs) things like, or talking shop with your dancer friends, talk about knitting, talk about other things and do other things. It's most dancers, because they get all overwhelmed in their dance, they consider that whatever is outside the dance world is a waste of time. That is like, that is very, very stressful way of thinking. It makes us off balance and that generates an awful lot of anxiety because my expectations towards my dance are like multiplied by a hundred because I have nothing else. So mm-hmm. I have the impression that all my end identity is fused with my dance. And that will make performance anxiety and perfectionism skyrocket. So it's very important. Walk in nature, 
do any other things. It's like so important. That is really fabulous. When, when I stopped dancing, I think it was particularly hard because so much of my identity was wrapped up in dance. I imagine that's true for a lot of people. And so what you're talking about is really kind of inoculating. It's like, it's like a vaccine for, you know, the the day that may come when, when you're going to be doing something different in your life and um, really preparing uh, yourself and making yourself a a really well-rounded person. Well, yeah, and and I would say that, you know, what you do as a dancer outside of dance makes you dance better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not something that is taking you away from dance. It's Mm -hmm. getting you back into shape by because you're balancing yourself with other things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so that's like really, really important as far as rest is and recovery is is concerned, Mm -hmm. physically, but also mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So just to keep in mind that, yes, I'm much more than dance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it gives me that healthy perspective of the fishbowl. Mm-hmm. Even if I enjoy what I'm doing tremendously. Yeah. Wow. That's brilliant. And this has been such a great conversation. I've learned so much. And I know our listeners are just going to really love getting to um, learn from you. And is there a place where they can find out more about the work that you're doing, um, articles that you've written and that kind of thing? Well, I encourage them to go on the um, Healthy Dancer Canada website. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of informational papers that I wrote, but many other people have written also on all kinds of subjects Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that can be very helpful physically and mentally. So I think that the more dancers are informed the the more the anxiety that can help alleviate anxiety just by saying okay well this is normal or I can do this or I can do that so the more I feel equipped well the less anxious I'm going to be if or or if I realize that a lot of other dancers are experiencing the same thing I won't get so overconscious about things mm-hmm. well that's one place to look at I would say also uh, the uh, Dance USA papers informational papers. Uh, the uh, the ones that are written uh, by the task force members on dancer health. I've written several uh, articles there and co- co-authored more, co-authored those those articles. So those are things that you can look out for. You can also look at you know like a dance magazine or dance current. There are more and more also very good articles you know on on mental health. They can really help you, you know, just to reflect on things and talk about subjects also with other dancers. It's so helpful to do that. Mm-hmm. And that helps to take away the culture of silence that's in dance. Eh? We don't mm-hmm. hush, hush, hush. We don't talk about things, mm-hmm. which all just generates even more turmoil mm-hmm. and injury risk also. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are things that can help an awful lot. Journaling can help an awful lot also. Mm-hmm. Just to, you know, get get my my states into perspective by putting them on paper. Great. Are you taking on new clients at all? Or is that something that is not really an option for people? <laughs> they wanted to work with you directly. Is that an option or is that something that your your practice is? I'm sure your practice is super busy and um but I, I think people are like going to ask that question <laughs> <laughs> okay well thanks that's that's really sweet of you as far as the vote of confidence is concerned but <laughs> i would say above all con- considerations of my my practice actually there's there's ethical considerations is that usually mental health practitioners have licenses only for the states or the countries where they practice right so like, for example, I'm under uh, Quebec jurisdiction. So technically, I cannot have a patient from Ontario or, you know, British mm-hmm. Columbia. And it's the same thing for uh, the States or whatever. So, you know, I can give a workshop. Mm-hmm. I can I can be on a podcast. I can do things like that, but not uh, clinical work. So they would have to find resources in their own state. Sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up about, about the workshop because I would love to have you teach a workshop for Mm -hmm. Bendy Bodies, for our audience that we could dive in even deeper and maybe even some sub categories like trauma that we 
talked about, we wanted to talk about more today, but that's such a big topic itself. We could talk about that for a couple of hours. So if you're listening to this podcast and you say, gosh, I would really be interested in a workshop like that. Please let us know, you know how to reach us. I'll mention that in a minute Um, because we would love to put that together if, if, you know, if people are interested. Absolutely. Well, that's possible. You know, so, and I'll be, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's just like the same thing as a podcast. A workshop does not replace psychotherapy. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yes. But it can really help. And, uh, and, you know, like identify issues, sometimes put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. And then, <clears throat> and from there, well, then you can decide what you need. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, very good. This has been such a fantastic conversation. And um, you've been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Our guest today was Joanne LaFleche. And Joanne, we have just loved chatting with you. Thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your vast wisdom with our, with our listeners. It was my pleasure. Always a yes, pleasure. Thank you so much. You. <laughs> we loved it. If you loved what you learned, follow the Bendy Bodies podcast to avoid missing future episodes. Screenshot this episode, tagging us in your stories so you can connect. Our website is www.bendybodies.org and follow us on Instagram at bendy underscore bodies. Leaving a review, following the Bendy Bodies podcast and sharing the podcast helps spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information shared is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.